Welcome to Everyday Animism, a weekly podcast exploring all things animism, particularly how animism impacts everyday life. The podcast is hosted by Kelly Harrell, Brandis Schnabel, and Janet Roper. Let's dive in. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Janet. Hey, how's everyone doing? Great. Things are smoldering a little. Not quite fire, but smoldering. That's probably a more accurate answer for me, too. (laughs) Got you on that. (laughs) So, welcome. And this is our 25th episode. So, happy 25. Yay! Yeah. Um, So, we wanted to discuss uh, this week. We we have a question we're going to answer from a message we received um, but we wanted to first talk about uh, Marie Kondo and the KonMari method of tidying up. Um, so I have some things pulled up here, uh, but does anyone have anything major they want to launch into on the topic? I do. Uh, a couple of weeks ago at our last episode, I made the commitment that I was going to do start cleaning out some papers and get some filing done. And this was before I'd really watched her TV show and everything and read that much about her. And the only reason I did it was because I made the commitment. But in the meantime, what I started doing was watching her show and looking at the filing from a different perspective. And it just made a world of difference for me. It just seems so duh to me. And and I think that's probably my frustration with people's reaction to her show and to her method is that, well, of course it has life force. Of course it has to be woken up if you've, you've had it stacked in a pile for like eight years and you haven't touched it. So those little details that she throws in that seem to throw people off, that's, I love that. I love it. Yeah. Welcome and, for, it. and for context for people who aren't familiar with Marie Kondo, so she has, um, you know, the book is the life changing, what is it called? Oh, the life changing magic of tidying up published in 2011. I had been kind of aware of that. And I have a copy somewhere haven't tackled. Um, Her method is called the KonMari method of basically, you know, being organized, how to choose what's in your space. Um, She now hasn't, and I think the reason she's a hot topic right now is her Netflix show, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And I've seen all kinds of reactions. Um, The article that covered the show in The Atlantic said, the organizational guru's new Netflix series isn't about judgment, decor, or the spectacle of mess. It's about cultivating empathy for the things that surround us. And she describes her mission on her website. Um, Our goal is to help more people tidy their spaces by choosing joy. And we are committed to developing the simplest and most effective tools to help you get there. Um, And there are so many other takes on what she's doing. Um, You know, you've seen these snippets where she's taken out of context, or there's this hyperbolic take on on one of her concepts, like, you know, the, the idea that we're supposed to throw all our books away. Um, I've seen, um, some criticism of, uh, some people who have said some really shitty things about the fact that she doesn't speak English, that, um, they're racist. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just, she's Japanese and actually um, she's Korean or Korean. I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, 
but she like her approach um is based on the shinto religion uh she was and i was actually looking at this i didn't know this she was she spent five years as an attendant maiden in a shinto shrine Mm -hmm. um so there's a deep spiritual and sacred aspect to this approach for her um and to see americans especially um, really dumb it down or just really simplify it in a way that is really disrespectful, often very racist. And also there's some avoidance in this idea of looking at our things that intentionally that seems like this internalized, like capitalistic drive to like own all of the things and have the most expensive things and to have more things and have more money and in some ways, what she's proposing is some freedom from that. And so sometimes I see these responses of like, you'll pry my shit out of my cold, dead hands in this very like, we've so internalized capitalism. And you can't have capitalism and animism both. Right. There, I said it out loud. You you can't. And that's what her methodology really taps into and exposes in the unconscious motives of Americans. Frankly, it's mm-hmm. not even the West, it's Americans. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she is Japanese, by the way, just to clarify. She's Japanese. Um, I was just looking on, on Wikipedia for something. But um, I think, too, I, I've also seen recently in the past week this sort of elitist, like, this creates all this garbage and this idea that like you holding a thing and determining whether it gives you joy to possess it and to have it live with you um, prompts people to create mass amounts of garbage. And I, I feel like that's also not having watched the show, not having read the book, but understanding the basic concept and reading a lot about her. I don't get that sense at all. And I feel like there's such potential in, in, a, in looking at it in an animistic way, what is our right to own excess of things and to own things in a way that there's not, um, that there's not whatever, you know, her term for it is joy or, you know, there, that there's not synchronicity or a, a positive feeling or an affirming feeling in your relationship with an item, you know, it becomes a question of like, what is our right to just keep it around and allow it to collect dust? And the the answer doesn't have to be to throw it away. It can be to find it a new home. I would like to understand the language around it all better because, because I don't understand it first of all. And, and what I've read is that there, there are some things that get lost in translation and the component of like what sparks joy in the way she means it is not necessarily what we hear because we hear joy and we think I got stuff that's joyful. And, but, but from her perspective, from a Shinto perspective, they reference Kami, which is more along the lines of like resonance and the resonance is both ways. It's not just you're happy to have that thing. And when you touch it, you feel good. There's this synergistic component that is mutual. And the ability to realize not just when you're done with it, but even though you may be emotionally attached to that thing, it's not sparking back to you. Therefore, it is still time to let it go. And that's 
that's the part I have watched the show. I've not read, I've only read parts of the book. And that's the part of it that you can see on the faces of people in the show that they do not get it. Like even the ones that are kind and they're, they're polite and they're all how precious she's on her knees in my house, talking to my house and invoking its presence. Like you, even though there's a little bit of smarmy overtone in how she's bringing the spirituality in, in how other people respond, you can tell that they're not, they're not getting it. And, and I think that's the value that you can take from her teaching as a modern animist is finding that connection point with your stuff that is, when is it done with you? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it has become, that's the other thing is like the fact that it's done with you doesn't mean it's not going to spark joy or, you know, create resonance or be useful to someone else or in some other form. Um, there's so much loaded in there and yeah the idea of sparking joy um, in Japanese it, the term is tokimeku the and it means to create a flutter or a throb or palpitate which to me is like it's more in that term of like resonance of like is there a response yeah do I do I hold a thing and feel um, that it's sort of holding me as well like that it's it sees me too um or do I pick it up and feel like, ugh, where does this go? It's so basic, but it's also so at odds. I feel like it, it in some way, it's some ways it's a duh thing for us because we live, like we understand things around us animistically. We're animists. And if you don't have that understanding, the idea that something you own might have a say in whether you own it or possess it or keep it for a certain length of time. I, it seems absurd. I could see a person who doesn't understand other objects that way, seeing that as absolutely absurd and seeing her kind of mainstream that concept of thinking about it differently, I think is pretty incredible. It is. What I noticed in a couple of the shows that I watched was that the people um, couldn't relate to it in an animistic point of view, but they could relate to it from an organizational point of view, that my life is so much more organized and I feel better. So I wonder if that might be like a first step. Right. It's sort of like reverse um, engineering in a way. It's like, so we, you did the thing. You didn't understand why you were doing the thing, but you did the thing and now you feel better. So maybe unpack that a little bit. The stuff that's in your space now, how do you feel about those things? How do you feel about the space? You know, it's, there is the potential to understand it, even if it's in sort of a backward direction of like unpacking it after you've gone through the steps. Because I, I don't know that everyone feels the same amount of um, calming or, you know, grounding effect to have their space in order, but I'm, I'm hugely impacted by the spaces I have that are cluttered or feel neglected or have stuff in them that I want to get rid of. I'm, I'm very affected by it. And I feel immensely at peace long before understanding the world around me animistically. I have always felt very at peace with, with a house that's orderly or tidy, um, it doesn't create distraction. I think that some of the reverse processing on that is when you make the connection that you can have that impact on your physical space and it reverberates back through you in an uplifting and positive way, 
what else could we apply that concept to? Pretty much everything in internal relationships, engagements in life, attitudes, boundaries, needs, pretty much everything in life. You can apply that method of, do I resonate with this? Is there, is there a spark here? And if there isn't, what if I just said, I'm going to move on? Yeah. And, and I think too, it doesn't even have to be a lack of spark. It could also be some really negative, you know, we could learn to trust all of our reactions to the things in our things, people, situations, dynamics in our lives. And in some ways, the KonMari method is, I mean, it's sort of an introduction into animism that if you really spend time with it and grasp it, it can just sort of spread out into animism as a whole. The past week or so, it's been downright frigid here, so much so that I've had to move my plants away from the windows where they normally are. And so they're sitting on my desk and my desk is just so crowded with the plants now that it's I'm edgy about it. I know it's better for the plants, but it's driving me a little bit nuts. But there's not really another place in the house to put them where they will still have the warmth that they need in the cold weather that we're having. So. I'm looking forward to when I can move them back to their places and well, except with the exception of one plant, um, the rest of them are looking forward to going back home too. this uh, plant is just really excited about looking at the world through a new perspective, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just, you have to put up with that until you can change. Mm -hmm. And, and I, the, the plant thing is tough. Cause I, I, you know, I have a ton of, you two know, I have a ton of plants in my office um, cause I don't have a lot of, um, I don't have a lot of great places in my home for plants, although I'd like to change that. And the winter has drastically changed what can survive where. And I, there have been some plants where I've made an effort and I've moved them and I've given them extra attention and they've large, they've largely just been like, yeah, we're not going to make it through the winter. It's fine. <laughs> we're plants. And that's part, and in, in looking at that, um, specifically to that one criticism I've seen of the KonMari method and creating waste, it's like, things don't have to be waste. Uh, I mean, there are things that, you know, are more likely to be less useful and that we can lessen our impact in environmental ways. But, you know, with the plant thing, a lot of my plants, like, they get buried outside. Uh, they get, you know, crushed up and stirred into the soil and, um they make way for new plants. You know, it doesn't, the fact that things don't serve the purpose we thought they were going to doesn't mean they don't serve a purpose. Which goes back to their agency. Yeah. Well, and the idea that, you know, the KonMari method is generating waste, really, that's our criticism of it. Why don't we have the bigger conversation about, you know, how we have ways to start with, which again, comes back to a total lack of connectivity into nature, into each other, into our communities, into our spaces. It's kind of like a chicken or the egg thing. Yeah. Yeah. Who created the waste? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, what, what system created the waste? Right. And why did you buy into that waste, literally? Yeah. So, I, I mean, my... I'm not in a place to dive into that method. Um, I'm, I did read part of the book and 
every time I come to that book, I'm not in a place. I think, I think when that, when I found that book and it started getting buzz, I, I had like a four month old, maybe I was just like, I'm not doing this right now. I'm like surviving life. And right now I'm, you know, I'm wrangling two businesses. My house is a mess and I'm more in a place of like making peace with it for now and, and actively in communication with my house about it. Um, But I'm just not in a place to dive into it yet, but I really do appreciate where it's a, for me, it's affirming. It's, it's really cool to see this method discussed and animism indirectly indirectly because we're not really calling you know no one's talking and using talking about it and using the word animism really um but to see animism sort of celebrated in this way is kind of cool whether i'm ready to step into it or not in the way that she does i have a confession to make that last summer i had gone through my closet and cleaned out some clothes and with the intention of taking them um, to be recycled, which of course I never did. They were up here in the um, loft area, like forever and a half. So the weekend that I was watching her shows, um, I thought, gee, I need to go through that bag. And I went through the bag. I added a lot to the bag, but I also took out a couple of pairs of jeans that didn't fit me then, but fit me now. So it was, um, it was a good exercise for me to be able to do that, to look at those jeans and go, yep, And at that time, they didn't work for me. They didn't bring me joy. It was kind of a nagging thought of, Janet, you need to lose weight. And then when I, and I don't think I've lost weight, but I've reshifted, um, pulling him back out. And it's like, yes, now we can work together. And I think that's where you can, this, this and any other method of, you know, interacting with your possessions, with the world around you is allowed to have nuance. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I like it. I'm glad we, I'm glad we're talking about it. I think, um, I think it's really important to recognize, uh, a very American or sort of white people tendency to sort of, um, infantilize Marie Kondo in this very, oh, she's cute and small in Japanese kind of way that I've seen. That's really condescending, really racist, um, there, there are a lot of ways, and I'm linking in the show notes, there's an article, um, I think the three of us have all read, I know we've talked about it, it says what white Western audiences don't understand about Marie Kondo's tidying up. Yep. Um, and it's a really helpful read if, if you're listening to all of this, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, or if you've had some of the, you know, I think even people who enjoy her method, enjoy the show, um, are still kind of participating in some really racist memes or taking her concepts and turning them into jokes. Or um, I think it's just important, really important to remember that this is a method rooted in sacred tradition and it's worth respecting, even if it's not for you. Well said, Brandy. Yeah. So um, the the other thing we wanted to talk about today, anybody else have other thoughts on KonMari? You spark joy for me. You too for me too. Me three. Hmm. This podcast sparks joy, so don't worry that any of us are going to throw it away. Yeah. I wish y'all could see the big grin on my face right now. It's like more <laughs> than ear to ear. It's bigger than the Cheshire cat grin. <laughs> 
Uh, so, uh, the other thing we wanted to talk about uh, is that we got a really lovely uh, letter from Stuart from Sydney. And I wanted to also quickly address this. I was talking to Janet and Kelly about it. Um, we're talking about possible other ways to manage the podcast and hosting and notes and all that kind of thing and how to contact us because um, this letter had kind of gone unnoticed for a while. I think it was sent in December. So, so appreciated. We all loved the letter. Um, I sent the letter to Kelly and Janet so they could read it also. What's interesting is today I went in to adjust some of the Tumblr settings and make sure everything looks okay transfer some uh, reference links into our podcast notes and all of a sudden that letter was gone and a whole bunch of questions came through in our inbox that were not there even like five days ago so we have questions coming out you know our ears Uh, so we've got some questions to answer over the next uh, handful of weeks and I just want to apologize to everyone who has sent questions or made comments Tumblr doesn't appear to have been notifying me of any of it and I love all of it. And I hope to kind of sprinkle in some of people's comments and questions throughout the next several episodes. Um, but the, the question in, at the end of Stuart's letter, um, this is Stuart Myers from Sydney. Thank you for listening. And he has a ton of really great comments on our Tumblr posts as well, which you can see. Um, but his question, uh, he said, I have a topic for you, good and bad positive and negative, how life needs both to exist and change. Uh, A bird dies, which is sad, but insects get to eat. A big tree dies, yet others spring up in its place. A coffee machine broke and a new one was purchased. Um, How do you interpret that for some things that are bad, there are are often uh, good for others that come of it and the universe needs this to change and grow? So the question is kind of um, how do we interpret the good, bad um, narrative? Does anybody want to tackle that first? I don't think we have to remember that that's a human perspective. And if we're, if we're really stepping into an animist, animistic engagement, then we have to be willing to let some things not be colored by our human projections. And in, in, the wheel of time in the, the seasonal progression, the progression of nature, there is no good and bad. There, there is a progression of, of things that intersect and figure out how to keep moving on. And so for me, my response to the good and bad is I, I don't have that. As the human, I'm constantly assessing the meaning of things. And for us in the modern era, that has been often rifled down to is this good or is this bad and how do I interpret this and move on but if I'm going to step out of that and more into like the place where I am transpersonal I am collective that's just me it's not necessarily the pervading vibe that is in the whole space affected by whatever has happened yeah what about you Janet my first thought is, um, who's to say that the death is bad for the bird? That bird could mm-hmm. have been ready to move on. And as Kelly said, you know, it's looking at through our human lens, our human perspective. Um, and it reminds me of the circle of life, that it just keeps going and going and going. Right. And, uh, you know, there's also 
from an animistic perspective, what is, what's dead and alive? I mean, right. what does that really mean? Um, for me, I feel like there's a lot of converse, there's a lot to think about here in terms of this polarity, like this, the binary of like, it's good or it's bad, it's positive or it's negative. There's so many ways in which that doesn't really resonate for me, period. I like, I'm not a very, I'm not very good at that regardless. I'm not good at black or white. I'm not good at positive or negative, good or bad. Um, there's so much nuance there. Bad is such a loaded question, such a loaded term, you know, the good and evil thing. Um, that doesn't, it doesn't exist for me. Not, not, not that way. Right. I, I think for me, I can grasp things that feel good or feel bad feel positive feel negative for me personally in my personal experience but I think it's important to keep that in context that um, projecting our our experience of something as positive or negative you know diminishes someone else's right to experience it very differently Um, and there's just such a spectrum there of I I mean and there's so much problem with that with all of the binaries, you know, men and women, there's, they're so, so <laughs> there's there so many binaries. I can't even think of one that I really closely relate to. Um, it's a very colonized perspective. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I mean, dualism period is about separatism and that is. Right. Yeah, it absolutely, it, it's about separating us and it's about, it's about putting things in categories so that those things are separate and where we allow there to be a range and allow there to be nuance, there is able to, we're able to allow a connection to remain between all of it. Whereas if we put it in two separate containers, uh, that separateness reduces our power. It reduces our autonomy. It, um, it separates us from people, but also it, it allows us to remain separate in ways that don't serve us either. You know, it impacts our ability to have empathy. Um, And I don't think outside of the human understanding of things that there's really any other being that experiences things in that dual, Mm -hmm. that, that dualism type of way. So going back to the bird, I wonder if it would help if, you know, people feeling like that, that was a bad thing that the bird died or the worm or whatever. Um, if they were to hold ceremony to help that bird um, in their new passage and their new way of being, so to speak, even though it's not the physical, mm-hmm. and to help that person know that mm-hmm. they were helping that animal in some way. Well, and in looking at that, I don't know that that ceremony is really about helping the bird. I mean, yeah, I don't experience right. animals. Yeah, I don't. I don't experience animals, especially wild animals as really needing much help in terms of death, because that death is just, it is. When we, when, I think when we engage in ceremony around death and acknowledging hard things, you know, in addition to death, that's about us addressing the feeling we have of good or bad or positive or negative or heartbreaking or heartwarming. And I think it's absolutely important and very valid and, and um, very healthy to to hold space for the feelings that we have while also not allowing our feelings to be truths that are universal or even truths for us. I mean, feelings are information 
they're signposts, they're, they're pokes, but they're not necessarily real. They're not, they're not facts, but it's absolutely worth acknowledging where we feel negative things about things that are really a lot more neutral when you take them out of a human perspective. That that's my take anyway. Point taken. Thank you. So hopefully any other thoughts on that, how we interpret? I think the answer is basically we don't interpret it that way. Yeah. I I mean, that's pretty much it for me. And I know uh, the question kind of ends with like the universe needs this to change and grow that the universe doesn't, the universe has no need of that duality at all. And I don't think if you, we look at it outside of a human lens, the that universe, it exists. it's already aware that there's more. We, we're mm-hmm. the ones who struggle to be aware that there's more. Yeah. So I guess uh, thoughts in going forward and looking at things that are presented in a duality or binary kind of way, really ask whether that's necessary. And to realize that when you see things in that way, you're definitely looking through a human and a, and a colonized lens. And so. give yourself the option of experiencing something beyond that. We're, we're all capable of it. We, we won't necessarily all experience the same thing beyond the duality, but we'll find something. It, it really is the tether of your imagination. If you're willing to let it go, more will be there. Like the question that I get that most parallels this, like over 20 some years of working with people, the, the, the question that I get is, um, are there soulmates? And as an animist, I'm like, you're standing among them all the time. It's the question of whether you can realize that. Do they spark joy? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. For soulmates, do they spark orgasms? Do they spark a lot of things? Do they spark the dishes to get done? There's a lot, there's a lot that goes into the whole mating um, and the length of that time, the, you know, whether that's permanent or not permanent or something in between. Uh, the soulmates question is so, I get asked that in therapy sessions too. And it's like, oh, stepping it's into that is. One. Yeah. It's the one that I probably get asked the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and people don't want to hear it. Right. What's that, Kelly? People don't want to hear that you can, you, if you open your imagination, if you open yourself to the fact that you are in a network with everything all the time, any part of that can be your soulmate. They don't want to hear that. They, they want it to be very storybook, very hand-selected, very proper, and always romantic. Yeah. And the question I get is, is the animal that I love so much reincarnating back to be with me again? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The ego and thinking that, like, an animal exists solely for one human. Yep. There's, well, and... And it's also worth thinking about where that duality presents itself. You know, the, the whole soulmate thing, it's like that sets you up to constantly search for the perfect person. It constantly leaves you in a searching state, which is exhausting. I was just having this conversation earlier today. The, 
the looking can be exhausting and it is okay to just look around you in your immediate space and find contentment for now and see where that goes. The soulmate thing can be a really harmful journey. Um, but also that thinking of, um, you know, it can be a search for the perfect job too. Like, uh, I, I'm going to either get this job I really, really, really want, or I'm never going to have a job I really want. It's like, well, right. Right. What what is the nuance there? Right. What if you allowed the million other possibilities between those two things? Or I'm going to put up with this shit because we had a pre-live contract that we signed together. Right. I that one a time or two. Yeah, joke. Yeah. Yeah, I have to stay because he's my soulmate. What if I don't find another? Well, maybe soulmates are shit if that's what a soulmate is. Yeah, creating those firm and hard labels. You know, what if you get the job that you decide is your dream job? And, you know, two years in, you're like, I hate this shit and I hate my coworkers and I, I've got this this urge to do something else. But I decided, you know, I decided they are, they are my soulmate. I decided this job was the perfect job. So, oh, my God, what if I change my mind? It's like the sacred act of changing your mind is just it's the fucking best. Do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, when you paint yourself into absolutes of good and bad and perfect soulmate. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I lost Kelly. Kelly. Oh, no. What? Kelly, are you there? <laughs> you, dis- you disappeared. I did. I don't know why. You disappeared into the duality. duality. If Kelly is here or not here at all. Anyway, when we paint ourselves into those kinds of dualities, they it can't go anywhere but bad. It's destined to go bad because it's a rigidity that is not nature. It's a spinning wheel that gets you nowhere. And it's uh, once you decide you've found it, it's a trap that leaves you unable to spin in any direction at all. Yeah. Yeah. Which so I don't do that us, shit. Yeah, exactly. Don't do that shit. But I also think it takes us back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about how the Americans' concept of joy is not the same as Marie Kondo's and how we have what can be, I'm going to use the word, what can be such a perverted idea of what joy is and what it can bring us. Well, it's a, as an extreme. Uh, you know, what we think of as joy sometimes we elevate it to a place of unattainability Mm -hmm. and joy can just be a moment of peace where your head is quiet for a second and you're comfortable and you know it can be a good chair where every part of you is supported and cushy and your feet aren't asleep and like you're I mean there are a million ways to have joy um, when we allow joy to have nuance as well these tied in really well together And I think the key word of today is nuance. Yeah. Allow nuance. Yep. And allow our environment and the things around us to have their autonomy and to be a part of the relationship we have with them. Yep. I like it. All right. Uh, That's a really good episode. Thank you, you two. Thank you, you two. Thank you. We did good. (laughs) this episode sparks joy i feel yeah i feel really good about it so um again uh 
feel free to send in questions, send in messages. If you have previously, I think I have them. Um, if you sent them as questions through Tumblr, we may not have your name or information if you didn't put it in your message. So if you want to resubmit anything and so that we can acknowledge who's asking, and if you don't, that's totally fine. Um, I want to also offer that you can email me questions if you really want to make sure that we receive a message um, at soulfulbrandis, B-R-A-N-D-I-C-E, at gmail.com. I'm just going to throw that out there this week in case you know, anything else gets eaten. Um, and thank you so much for, for being here this week, you two. And we'll be, we'll be here next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you'd like more information on Kelly, Brandis, or Janet, or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, get some more information on our resource page, you can find all of those tidbits at everydayanimism.tumblr.com. See you next week.